I'm Liz Gold, and you're listening to Conversations. Stories about strength, courage, and making it through. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Liz Gold. Thank you for being here. And today, my guest is Sage Hayes. And before I bring them on, I just want to give you a little bit of background about Sage. So Sage is a somatic practitioner exploring frontiers of embodied liberation. Sage is an anti-racist, trans, and queer somatics practitioner with embodied liberation and a lead teaching assistant with the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute. Sage's work integrates biodynamic craniosacral therapy, systemic constellations, evolutionary biology, quantum physics, ecstatic dance, somatic experiencing, and intuitive wisdom practices. As an educator, a community organizer, a healing arts practitioner, Sage is passionate about creative ways to create conditions for embodied liberation, which interrupt and help us heal from the trauma of supremacy, binary thinking, and marginalization in both systems and in bodies. Sage lives on the ancestral lands of the Narragansetts and Wampanoags, currently known as Rhode Island, with her brilliant partner and travels around the world to support trauma healing. Welcome to the show, Sage. Thank you for being here. Yes. Thank you for having me, Liz. It's great to be here. Yay. Introduction. <laughs> it's always sort of odd listening to somebody sort of say, I was like, oh, that's too many things. But anyways. <laughs> it's a lot of good things. I could deconstruct your bio. I always want to deconstruct people's <laughs> bios because it's so interesting. But all of it. I mean, so here we are. First of all, everybody, like Sage and I know have known each other for a long time. Like we work together at Outright, which is a queer youth organization in Portland, Maine. And which is where I was born and raised. And side note, if you haven't listened to episode four, you should, because Kat De La Paz, who also was working with us during that time, is my guest. And we talk about her journey as a trans woman be working stealth in corporate America. And it's Whoa, I didn't realize y'all did that. That's amazing. Yes, it's a phenomenal episode. I really, really highly recommend it. Kat is oh. amazing. And she wrote a book, which I had the opportunity to edit. So I really, really, really encourage you to check out episode four. Anyways, but Sage, so Sage and I have known each other for a long time. And I wanted to ask Sage to come on because of all of the work, you know, that you have done in trauma and healing. And obviously we're in the middle of this pandemic still. It's May 13th. And I always like to put the date in because by the time you're listening to this, who knows what else is going on, but it's May 13th currently. And I mean, Sage, like, How is it going for you in the midst of this pandemic? Like what's going on in your world? Yeah, totally. I want to share that. But first, I just want to say like, you know, what's interesting, Liz, about you and I working at Outright, like early 2000s, I think is when we were working there in in Outright as a queer GLBTQI youth service uh, community center. And since then, that was really one of the roots of wanting to really understand trauma and healing. Mm -hmm the work that we did. And I just want to talk about that for a second, just because yeah. you know, it's part of where you and I intersected and spent some really fun time and some really amazing time. And also we're, you know, in some of the trenches of doing really important support work for queer mm-hmm. youth and me. Mm-hmm. And obviously queer myself and coming out as trans at the time, back then, this is 20 years ago or something. I can barely look at how long it's been. And One of the things I really noticed is I loved working in communities, right? And I loved being in the GLBTQ community, how much healing we got by being together, Mm. right? Like how instrumental being able to work in an organization that centered liberation and centered understanding power and centered young people and their experiences, and the multitude of diversity of their experiences. Like, the ways that we did that type of work back then have been so informative Mm -hmm. to my journey in life and have really, like, a true root. Now, not only was that time informative as far as, like, liberation work, but it was also very informative around the trauma work I do because I also noticed how much we all use substances, right? 
Like I noticed how much drinking and smoking and drugging and all these things that were happening. And I wasn't making up a judgment about it. I just noticed all I mean by substance use is how much we were managing too, right? Because often we're using different things to be able to manage stress levels. And I just noticed like kind of how much addiction and not necessarily substances for pleasure use and, and agency around that, but substances for stress management. And of course, being queer and being on the margins and dealing with bullying and discrimination and homelessness and economic insecurity, like that's freaking stressful. So we sort of try to find the things that help us manage that stress. And I got really interested in how we were treating our bodies and how we were oftentimes, sometimes like almost reinforcing distress that we were experiencing in the world, you know, by sort of having a difficult time sort of taking care of ourselves. And I feel like we did a great job of taking care of each other. And I think even in the midst of that, because of the greater challenges, you know, really tending to the body was not so easy in different ways. So I just wanted to like name that like our time at Outright was really instrumental in the intersection that I feel like I'm passionate about, which is justice and embodiment. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to start there. I'm so glad you did. I mean, I didn't really mean to rush right into the pandemic, but like, yeah, I mean, outright. Well, it's, really... it's, it's an obvious place to start, so <laughs> no worries. Well, I mean, I yeah, I, you know, and I love when you were talking, I was just thinking about like, you know, the big like living room space that we had and all of the ground rules that were on the wall. And, you know, I mean, it was just like a very contained space to create safety for these young people. And I mean, everyone the adults too. Yeah, and I think it's just such an interesting focus to think about substances and how we use them, and especially for queer people who tend to disassociate from their bodies. So not only is there like tremendous stress for a lot of queer youth who are dealing with financial issues, parent issues, coming out, grappling with their sexuality or their gender or whatever, violence, you know, all of it, homelessness, all of it, but it's like, there's like, the dis and you know this like the disassociation piece around queer people just like checking out from their bodies you know which makes sense given the culture and society that we live in and the low level of acceptance we have for anything but the binary or the straight cis norm so anyways yes thank you for that <laughs> yeah and i think like i love that you use the word disassociation which you know how i understand that word is just like sort of a disconnection from feeling yourself or feeling your body. It's like a disassociation from your experience because it's way too overwhelming, yes. right? It's just like you're way past threshold into what you can tolerate because in our bodies, we are wired to tolerate stress, but we're only wired to tolerate so much stress. Mm -hmm. And we're certainly not wired to tolerate chronic stress at high levels, which is often when you're in a marginalized community, if you're a person of color, if you're working class or, you know, at the low end of the class spectrum or you're queer, you're trans, like, you know, depending on your varying degrees of privilege, you're interacting with cultural schema that is basically constantly trying to annihilate you, mm -hmm. right? Through all of its systems, invisibilize you. So why wouldn't you want to disassociate, right? Like, why wouldn't that be a great option? And why wouldn't it substance use be a really good option? So that's part of what I've really learned about in trauma work is how important it is to not pathologize any substance use or disassociation as some sort of mental health disorder. Rather, it is a strategic, incredible sign of resilience mm. and coping with what is very, the tremendous amount of stress and threat that people are coping with constantly. And I think it's so important that we keep depathologizing that, especially for people who are like just living with chronic threat, right? No, I love the way you said that. Like, it's a strategy. I mean, and that's so much more empowering, you know, that's to think right. about that. I mean, and, and, you know, in talking to people right now, I mean, doing this podcast since the end of February, and then, you know, the pandemic hit, you know, one of the things that I've been hearing is that people don't have their usual things to distract themselves from their life. This is what I've been hearing, like repeatedly from people. And so whether that's, you know, eating out at restaurants, seeing your friends, drinking, whatever it is, you know, and obviously some of that stuff is, there's no judgment around that. That's just like connection and what we do. But it's like, 
people don't have that buffer, it seems like now. And so the people are forced to deal with whatever stuff is right in front of them, which I guess seems new for a lot of people. Because yeah, people- yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Liz. It's just kind of new. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think there's a couple very interesting things. I mean, there's so many interesting things to notice right now. And of course, I can say that from my little office in Rhode Island, where I have enough resource to be able to feel like I can pay my rent and I can put food out and, you know, I have the basic needs met. So I just want to like name that, like the fact that we can even chat about this is a sign that we feel safe enough to even have like a conversation of reflection about this. Mm -hmm. Right. And so of course I'm grateful about that. And I'm also aware that a lot of people are in the position to even be in reflection yet because basic needs have been so disrupted. So I think there's like the conversation around basic needs and all the people's disruption around that. And that's one conversation, right? For folks who can't pay their rent, food, shelter, transportation, things like that. And then there's like a whole group of people that have their basic needs met, but are extremely triggered by this disruption, right? And by the amount of uncertainty that they are being asked to tolerate in this moment, right? We are in such a phenomenal moment of uncertainty. And I think one of the interesting things I'm noticing about that group of people, and this even overlaps into some of the basic needs, folks who are grappling with basic needs, is that the people who have endured marginalization over many years, the queers, the POCs, the poor people, the people with larger bodies who've been marginalized, disabled population, there is a pretty epic, almost like endurance, like a strength that people, like, for example, like some of the chronically ill people I work with are sort of saying, actually, this feels really, this whole thing actually, strangely, in one way feels really powerful and helpful, because now people know how I feel all the time. Mm -hmm. Right? And I've had to live with this chronic illness, or I've had to live with discrimination, or I've had to live with uncertainty, my whole life, or for a grand part of my life, around threat and things like that. And now people are getting just a little, you know, a little taste of what it's like to live with this chronically. So there's a way that marginalized folks, like a ton of resilience that has been lived and built over time is sort of just like appearing like, wow, you know, I'm not as rocked as I thought I'd be because I've been dealing with this bullshit for a long time, not a pandemic, but I've been dealing with like being triggered all the time, being activated, being stuck in chronic illness, trying to navigate an unfree world, an unsafe world, right? Whereas this whole other pocket of people is like, who has been so in the privileged groups, have been so used to a sense of safety and certainty, which is part of privilege. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of the population that's like freaking out. These are the people that are protesting with signs demanding a haircut, right? Like, and the irony is like the marginalized folks are like, don't kill us. And the people who have the privilege who are like being disrupted right now, there's such a lack of endurance, a lack of experience to be able to be this disrupted. Like literally they're protesting over a haircut, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's, it's just like a very illuminating moment for what people have a lot of capacity and what people haven't built much capacity at all. Yeah. And people who built a lot of capacity, capacity have not have only built that because they've had to deal like it's not been a choice you know and there's a whole bunch of people who've had a lot more choice around that because of their privilege and I think that's really interesting to watch people get disrupted you know yeah I agree I mean I was just talking to this about this similarly with another guest BJ Watkins who's in New York and she was talking to me about how watch she's been hearing some people talk about getting on unemployment for the first time and all of the frustration that goes along with that, which, you know, I think no matter where you are, it's like a nightmare at this point. But she's like, yeah, well, I mean, now you know what we've been dealing with for like a long ass time. Like unemployment is a nightmare. And imagine if like you had to fill out a form that was attached to all of the resources that you need. Now you know what a lot of people of color, have, a lot of low income folks have been dealing with for a long time. So it's like, you know, I think, I think the disparities are coming out like so many new 
ways. And I mean, they've always been there, right? But now it's like, I think the way that you talk about privilege, I think is really, I think it's really key. And I hope people are paying attention to this. So, I mean, let me ask you this. How are you doing in the pandemic? I mean, you're in Rhode Island. How is this affecting like how you work with people too? Yeah, for sure. Well, personally, I'm actually doing pretty well in the Mm -hmm. pandemic. I think the first month I was very triggered. You know, I was really afraid. I have parents in their 70s and other family in those age ranges. And I still feel pretty worried about exposure for the, the older people in my life and definitely in my community too. So there's just that kind of like bit of vigilance around that, which I think is necessary around being thoughtful about what's really going on and how do we create practices of safety that actually feel like a choice versus like we're doing them out of fear. And I think it's just like an interesting thing because there's so much media right now and there is so much devastation and so many people we're losing. And there's also like, we kind of know historically that we don't usually get the whole story about what's truly happening. And so how do we interact with this bigger narratives and notice the fear as it comes up, but to be able to keep doing grounding practices, which is part of my process to be able to stay in my body somewhat so that I actually feel like I'm not just reacting, reacting, reacting out of fear. So I'm definitely kind of like doubling down on my own care practices um, with myself and with my family and with my communities. And that's definitely helping a lot. Like I'm being more intentional around connectivity and I'm being more intentional around moving my body so that it moves any of that extra fear that's in my system, it's like kind of helping to metabolize it every day. That's really normal for that, this type of adrenaline that's not only in our own bodies, but it's in the social nervous system, right? There's a lot of fear in the social nervous system right now. And we can just look at any newspaper to sort of demonstrate how global the fear is and how global the intensity and the distress and the loss and the grief and the rage and the powerlessness all of that is in the mix. That's not just in our system. It's we are living and breathing together on this planet in, in a whole system. So yeah, so I'm like really interested in my own practices and how to kind of adapt those for this moment and working with other people, whether it be in groups or one-on-one as a practitioner, all through online work that helps us just kind of practice, like see what's available For some people, like slowing down isn't an option right now, right? And like really checking in on how you're doing. Like disassociation might be the absolute smartest thing to do right now, right? Especially if I was a healthcare worker on the front lines, like being able to slow down is like, that's a privilege. And it's probably like, it would be so overwhelming. But how do we do, you know, kind of micro moments of just taking a breath or just getting out for a two minute walk or, you know, like connecting for a five minute conversation just to help kind of downregulate our stress a little bit because this is, you know, I know it's sort of like a cliche thing to say, but this is, seems like it's going to be kind of more like a marathon than a sprint. Mm-hmm. So if being able to kind of like have these micro releases throughout our days feels, you know, kind of essential for being able to kind of get through some of this in a way that you feel like you have choice and you feel like you're not draining yourself as much all the time. So that's like a little bit about how I'm doing and like what I'm working on. Because I've been a person who my work often takes me on the road. I've been on the road for three years. You know, I didn't have a home and I just stayed on the road and traveled from place to place. So I happened to land in back in Rhode Island last September in an apartment here that I share with my partner. And To be honest, I'm so glad I finally got an apartment before the pandemic hit because my mom and dad's right now. So, yeah, and that would be sweet, too. So I'm grateful, actually, to have a safe home and to be grounded, you know, like not I actually am am happy to not be traveling. It feels like a really nice break. And I think for like so many people, the culture of like, let's say, like white supremacy and capitalism keeps us going, 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 right? And I'm, of course, a living, breathing aspect of that. And so there's ways that this disruption of the pandemic interrupts some of that capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. Literally. So I'm trying to trying to like, just be reflective as we experience this, 
and go through the cycles of intensity, of grief and despair, of all the things. But I'll pause there because I know I've like said a lot. So No, I really appreciate everything you said. And I mean, the piece for me, and we were talking a little bit about this before we went on, not the air, but you know, when we started yeah. <laughs> was that the social media piece, the amount of information. First of all, it's you're right. I don't think we do have the whole story. I think the media is pretty biased at this point, no matter what you're reading. And I think like, you know, the amount of information that is coming at us all the time through social media is super intense. And I mean, for me, I'm just like, I have noticed this shift. Like, I'm just like, I don't really want to be online. But at the same time, it's like being online is the way we connect with people right now, right? I mean, yeah, I can go out in my neighborhood and there are people walking around and walking their dogs and, you know, I can say hi and we keep our distance and that's fine. But, you know, or I can Zoom call somebody, but it's like, how do we set boundaries around this? Like, this is what I've been thinking about. It's like, especially with people whose work maybe takes them online or where they have to. And now additionally, in order to connect with people, they have to be online. And then, you know, well, I'm bored. I'm going to just go on Facebook and see what's going on. Or I'm going to go on Instagram and scroll around. But it's like, how do we take care of ourselves in this new environment where so much is demanding us to be present online? which to me is not a way to ground into your body, you know, like you're online, you're being like stimulated in all these various ways. So that's like something that I've been really thinking about because my business is like, I'm marketing, I'm supposed to be on social media, like I'm supposed to be like promoting people's work and da 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 and my, my own work and, and I'm like, I don't want to do it, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I just, it's, I think for me, like this is like making me realize like, wow, yeah, I do miss people in my life. I do miss physically hanging out with my friends and my family, but I also really am enjoying the solitude, you know, which I think somehow I've really needed. So I guess, you know, and this is like me going on and on, but I think like, what do we do? Like, how do we set good boundaries around the pull to join in on the, all of the stuff that's going on online and reading the news and staying informed, but also take a step back and be like, okay, this is too much. I'm going to take a break now. I'm going to go outside and take a walk or do whatever. So, I mean, how do you have that balance? You know, I guess this is something I'm trying to figure out and I'm just wondering if you have anything. Yeah, to share. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think for every person, there's going to be a different answer for this. I think there's going to be a different process depending on how much your work or livelihood or right. activity depends on the internet in this moment. So I think that's, a question for each person to sort of ask in this moment. But to me, never before in our lifetimes, and have we had a moment like this mm -hmm. that has been so disruptive, so systemically, globally disruptive. And like, we're really good adapters in ways. We're like, okay, like if I go to the grocery store, it's like everybody's adapted. Like they're doing this and they're wearing their masks and they're doing social distancing somewhat. And there's a way that like, <laughs> I feel like before we sort of do all the adaptations, which, which is brilliant and which is awesome and our resilience, I think it is for a lot of people a pretty powerful moment to kind of just like take a seat and or or take a take a moment and just be like just pause mm -hmm. like this has paused us and for the people who are who sort of are living with the habit of busyness right that's not an easy thing to do but what's happening is unprecedented like quantumly right. unprecedented so like if you have if you have the capacity to take some moments to take a little bit of time to really like you sort of said, like reflect on what do you miss? Like what do you really miss? Mm -hmm. Because there's an element of this which we can really make this an opportunity to get a lot clearer on what's important to us individually. I'm not saying like us as a monochrome. I'm saying like each of us. Like what do we really miss? What is really essential? Mm -hmm. Right? Like I think that's a really interesting question for this moment. Like what's really essential about your life? Because there's been like a lot of things you would have said six months ago, that it might be a little bit of a different answer right now. And if we're not asking some of those, like a little bit like drop down questions of like, what's important? What do I miss? In this sort of 
moment of disruption, like disruption spiritually in so many traditions is sort of means opportunity, right? And so it's like being able to make a little space to, to listen, mm-hmm. right? To listen to your thinking, to listen to your body, to listen to the planet and what is actually happening. And reacting is different than listening. And listening asks us to slow down. It asks us to drop in and feel ourselves a little bit, which I know is not really maybe realistic for a whole bunch of people right now. But there's a whole lot of people who it is realistic for, who have tons and tons of time, but are just filling it with the same thing that they've always filled it with. And again, no judgment there, but like, what a moment to say, what's important? And sort of let that rise a little bit to the surface so that as life continues to evolve and the pandemic and the the world continues to evolve, what's important now becomes the center of how you organize your life, right? It's like letting some things sort of be illuminated and if that's possible. So I just feel like that's such a exciting possibility. And and that's just, that's just my thought. I think there's a lot of other ways to think about balance and social media and all that stuff. And I just think every, I think again, actually the second thing I'll say is just that I think choice is also really different than habit. Right. And a lot of us have a lot of habits of like using something to self-regulate, to calm us down. Right. So we might pick up our phone to look at Facebook. I totally do that. You know, we might look at Instagram. We might look at the news. Right. And asking the question is like, is this a habit that's giving me something that's actually like has nutrients in it that actually has something I really need right now? Or, you know, so is it a habit or is it a choice I'm making that actually does have something I need right now? And being able to practice differentiating, like, you know, habit versus choice can be really helpful. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love what you said about disruption can be an opportunity. I mean, I think that that is, you're right, like, this is a major disruption. And also, like, what is cracking from it? You know, the change in routine, the change in work style, the, I mean, everything, everything is impacted. And I mean, I know for me personally, just the disruption has brought me various opportunities to get really clear, as you're saying, on what's important to me, you know, not what I think I should be doing, not like the social obligations I signed myself up for, not the things that I thought were nourishing, but really, like, if I strip all that down, what is real? Like, what do I want right now? Because it's like, we don't know what's going to happen. We're living in uncertainty. You know, we get information that, oh, yeah, this is going to happen, or it's going to roll out this way. But honestly, we don't have any idea. (laughs) <laughs> you know, of what's going to happen. And I think like one of the things that's so exciting, just as before I got on, I, I haven't read the article yet, but I was, somebody had posted something about for the revolution, I'm going to start a garden. You yeah. know? And like, there are these sort of things that have been in the back of our minds of things we really wanted to do. Yeah. Right. Like we just, when we have time or when we retire or when we, you know, get those two weeks off or whatever, like the things that are really connected to who you are and what you are really here for and what your experiences that you really want to have. And to me, if more of us were really leaning toward that and practicing connecting with that as an act of revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Because if all of a sudden we're now, we're in more circles of people who are actually living, choosing the life that they want. And I don't mean that from like an airy fairy place. I mean it from like a revolutionary place, like doing the things, like taking up the space and doing the things that really feel true to you and figuring out creative ways to do that. Right. And we're seeing so many wonderful ways of like mutual aid and collective care and, Like there's ways that when we pause and we give it some time, some new ideas from the collective imagination are arising. And to be able to be a part of that, like this sort of imagining of how else can we do this, right? We can have our garden and we can have our garden share it with our five neighbors, you know, or whatever the thing is, like moving more toward life giving and life generative truths, that's really what creates, like, it sort of restores us to our true interdependency, you know, mm-hmm. like by following our truths, because then what I, usually what we find is, is there's a lot of like, 
um, overlap between each other and what's what we're most passionate about, you know, and intersections. So anyways, you know, I just think there's a lot of opportunity in that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I really agree with you. And I mean, I'm, I'm just curious, too, because do you feel like we I mean, obviously, this is a disruption, there's opportunity, I feel like I agree with you there. And obviously, we talked about the devastating all the devastation that's happening. I mean, do you sort of define what is happening as sort of a collective trauma? Yes, I think that that would be one way I would put it. I mean, it absolutely is a collective trauma because because on the individual level, on the familial level, on the you know, on the local community level, on the regional level, on the state level, on the nation level, not even that I really think about, you know, those levels, but on the every system is impacted right? Like every family system to a certain degree, there's no systems that are not impacted by, or may are almost no systems. I shouldn't say there are no, because I don't really know that for sure. But, and some systems are actually benefiting from this, right? We, we see sort of all the nature restoring itself. So we want to acknowledge that there's some amazing things just sort of naturally happening from the reduction of, you know, sort of use on our planet. But then there's all this other overwhelmed fear, despair, and grief for the people we're losing, for the people who we can't hug, for the people who we can't see, for the tremendous demand of healthcare workers on the front lines, for people who are, who are incarcerated. I mean, there's so many, Yeah, there's just so many already unsustainable systems that are overburdened right now, right? Both individually and collectively. And so, you know, part of how you know, I define trauma is when, when something's so overwhelming that we don't have choice anymore. We lose our sense of embodiment and we lose our sense of choice. And that, you know, and that trauma kind of gets embedded in our body and it, it kind of continues to, to haunt us and replicate over time. And so we absolutely, and I think another, just like another interesting element of that is for folks who do healing work or even folks who don't do healing work this has not only been a collective trauma but here's the interesting thing when trauma happens it actually usually triggers many of our old traumas so that's also kind of a a complicated thing that's going on right now where that i'm sort of definitely experiencing in what i'm seeing is that in the global overwhelm and in the local overwhelm really young old traumas in one's life if you were overwhelmed at all as a child if you were threatened at all as a child in any way because your maybe your family system wasn't safe if there was neglect or abuse and those are parts of your story that maybe have been tended to or maybe haven't those often get lit up in a moment like this mm-hmm. because when there's overwhelm in the system it it sort of pings all those other moments where there has been overwhelm in your life. And it really kind of amplifies fear, terror, and a sense of like, you know, of overwhelm and stress. So that's part of why it is such an important moment to be engaging in some embodiment practices. And, you know, we don't have to call it embodiment practices. We're caring for ourselves in a more proactive way because there's just so much up in the system right now. It's not so easy to manage because sometimes it's like when there's so much trigger, it's like we don't even know what's what. Mm-hmm. And so like that's so normal right now. Like to be moody, extra moody, or to be going from, you know, fear to crying to grief to this. And this is an overwhelming thing that can just like really overwhelm your body and your emotions and things like that. So being able to be compassionate and get a little bit of support around you if possible, even if it's with your animals or even if it's with nature or uh, care practices in your family or community that are creative, it's such an important time to reach out, especially to those people maybe who live alone or in nursing homes or, you know, so that we can offer, if we have regulation in our systems, how can we, like, that's kind of the privilege right now is if you have enough regulation, right, in your system to be able to offer to someone else. And this is definitely a time to utilize that if possible. It's absolutely a big collective trauma. I think for me, the key is to just try to take the pressure off. Like however you can take the pressure off your life, you know, whether that's like 
trying to take it more easy if you're working or like not put pressure on yourself to write the great American novel while you have like all this time at home or to start running or to like cook, whatever it is, you know, like we're, I think we get caught up in this idea of like, oh, I should be doing X, Y, and Z. You know, I, oh, I'm furloughed. I'm home. I need to be doing all of this stuff. And I think Again, we get caught up in the pressure, I think, of our culture, which is produce, 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 keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And I, I mean, I like what you're saying. It's like, slow down, like, stop, like, listen, take a breather. Like, this is happening. Figure out what you can do about it. Figure out where you are with it. And then act from there. It's been really fascinating to see like just the people around me and how everybody has had to adapt and how they're responding. I mean, I have friends who are extreme extroverts who are just like going out of their minds, you know, because it's like they can't get out of the house, you know? And so what do you do, you know? And then you have people who are introverts who are like, oh, you know, this is great. I can be at home and not have feel pressure to go outside and meet people, you know? Like what a relief. Yeah. It's like, like, I'm like, maybe I should just get a house on the beach somewhere and become a recluse. It wouldn't be so bad. You know, I mean, the things that for me that are emerging are really interesting. It's been really an interesting experience to just sort of observe the people around me. And, you know, and also, you know, being across country for my family, it's like, wow, I'm across country for my family. My family, you know, my parents are in their 70s. I mean, they're fine. But it's like, you know, I've seen people's parents die during this. And it's like, wow, like, what do you do? Like, if you're, I saw somebody's parent die and it's like, you can't sit Shiva. Like, you know, like you can't go to somebody's house and pay their respects because we are in physical isolation. So it's just like the, the ripple effect of all of this is so intense. And so, I mean, my mantra has been like, just take the pressure off, like <laughs> lower the expectations. <laughs> Take the pressure off and just try to be like in it. I think that's so, so smart. You know, I think that's such a great, it's such a great mantra and I think it's so appropriate. And, you know, if you start with that, you take the pressure off, right? That's sort of just like, you know, communicating with your body, like take the pressure off. It's okay. (laughs) Right? Like it's okay. It's okay. We keep saying it's okay. It's okay. When we communicate that to our, ourself, then maybe some little semblance of, you know, sense of safety comes back, which is so important, right? To be able to feel like, you know, it's not like safe and not safe because there's, there's a spectrum of feeling safe. But the more that we can take the pressure off, the more that we can practice. And this is a practice, right? This isn't like a one-time thing. This is like, what in this moment is okay, right? What in this moment, as I look around, even with there being so much that's not okay, I look at social media, I look at my friend's parents who passed away, I've looked at uh, my friends who lost their jobs and who are stressed out. And, you know, it's like, okay, so that's true. But to build capacity to be able to actually, you know, do something or offer something, you know, offer something helpful, like starting with self and being able to, to try to resource yourself into what is okay. Right, because if we act out of a place, act out of a place, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. That's usually just kind of creates more fear, right? Kind of creates more sort of that panic, anxiety, energy, and so taking the pressure off, letting your body kind of regulate a little bit, so that you can look around from a place of okay, maybe I feel overwhelmed, but I feel like well, I've taken the pressure off, so then I feel like I can kind of like, you know, look out at the world and have some new choices, right? About how, you know, and and that's one of the things that is happening because my partner is Jewish and she's been to two or three shivas on Zoom. And of course, that's like so different. Of course, it's, you know, I can't even imagine how different that is not having grown up in in the culture. But also there's ways that are arising and emerging from you know, these rituals and practices, you know, that really are, they do hold an essential place, like a Shiva, and watch it kind of emerge in this different way and holding in and being able to like, just like, I don't know, it's just kind of like, let it come through despite our fear, 
Yeah, and grief, you know, like the grief right. of not having what we thought we would have, you know, yeah. like, yeah. or like Passover, it's like, oh, you know, or Easter or whatever. And it's like, oh, but this is such a gathering of a holiday. And like, what, this is the first Passover that we're not together. And it's like, well, yes, there's grief there, but there's also opportunity and an opening. There's an opening to do it differently, yeah. to experience the togetherness differently, you know. Yeah which I think is, I think it's beautiful, you know, honestly, like to have that kind of opening even amidst the grief. So, I mean, for Sage, for people that may not know you, like, you know, we talked a little bit about the modalities in your bio, but can you just talk about a little bit about what it is you do and how you work with people? Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate that. I do a lot of different things. Like I, I am a somatic experiencing practitioner. I'm a body worker. I'm a community you know, educator and DJ, like this Sunday, I'm going to be doing offering a, um, a DJ, a two hour DJ dance with the Portland, Maine community dance. Like this is a community that I've danced with on and off for 15 years, Sunday mornings for two hours. It's all, it's kind of like ecstatic dance or five rhythms, if people are familiar with that. So the community has brought that onto Zoom. And I've been, you know, one of 12 DJs, a part of that community for many years. And I'm really excited to to sort of, you know, explore what it's like to do a DJ dance online, you yeah. know? So, like, that's one thing I do. Like, I'm present with people and yeah. really interested in, usually I work with people who, who are ready, who have some, like, real readiness to do some healing work and to change. Like, something usually, it's kind of like something's not working in their life and they've gone to a ton of therapy, like talk therapy, but, like, part of what is getting in their way is some some feelings and uncomfortable things in their body, whether it's like fear and anxiety or depression. So I work with people somatically, which just means like we listen to the story your body's telling us, right? We listen to the mind story, but we're simultaneously really getting curious about like what's happening in your body and why might that be happening? And how do we build witness and support and capacity so that you have some new ways of working with that energy and potentially even metabolizing and processing some of it so that it is not getting in the way anymore of certain choices you want to make. And that can be choices, anything from like, you know, I'm afraid of intimacy or I'm afraid to drive because I had a car accident or I don't want to go outside because I'm so traumatized by the pandemic, right? Like these are all they're a story in our mind, but first they start as a story in our body, right? Like our, my body won't let me go out in line. My body won't let me get into closer proximity with somebody. And so in, it's this very particular uh, way of being present with listening to the body and to the nervous system and really in a very gentle way, you know, tending to what what, what wants to be tended to around that? Because there's always a good reason our body won't let us do something. Mm. And part of the, the work that we do in somatic work is we get, we hold space and get really curious about how we can support those parts that are stuck. Yeah. Let me ask you this because, and this is maybe a big question and, you know, I want to be mindful of time, but, you know, how do we learn to trust our body and what it's telling us? Yeah. That's such a, that's, I know, like, that's another that's hour. That's an awesome question, Liz. Well, I think, you know, I think this is such a cool question. And obviously, if we had more time to talk about with you, because I feel like I got a chance just from afar to witness a little bit of your transformation when you did, you know, part of that self-defense community in oh. New York, because I remember you telling me like, that was such a pivotal transformation for you. Yes, it was. Yeah. I mean, I just briefly, like I trained with the, at the time it was called the Center for Anti-Violence Education in Brooklyn. Now it's called Brooklyn Goju, but it was karate. I mean, I learned Goju karate. It was a very queer feminist school. And we learned, basically what I learned was how to take up space. I mean, that is, Mm. that is like, basically mm-hmm. like the bottom line what i learned in that right and like what are some of the key things about how you got there well i mean I, first of all i had really great teachers and and the space itself was very safe you know and it was for women and queers and trans people it's tuning into your body it's allowing a practice it's going bigger you know sometimes people <laughs> my teachers would be like you need to like take up more space liz like actually being told like take up more space. Like here is your space that you can use. 
take up more space. Like here is the technique. Like, let me show you how you do this strike or you do this kick. I mean, just thinking, like, I haven't really thought about my school for a while because it's, I haven't been there for a while. And it's also watching other people take up space or, and watching people's growth in, in, in allowing themselves to be seen and in front of the class and working together and just showing up by just showing up with your body in that school, wherever your body is that day. You know, I mean, someday, I mean, martial arts is a practice, right? Like anything else. And so it's like, some days you can do a kick, you know, great. And then other days you're just like, why can't I do this kick? (laughs) Like, you know, why can't it, why can't it work? And you just have to respect the body. You have to respect where you are and know that like there's no perfection there's only practice there's only feeling good in what you're doing and sometimes you don't feel good in what you're doing but you do it anyways you know so it's i don't know i I don't feel like i've really got to the i don't really know if i really articulated that well but totally did i mean like some of the underlying principles i heard was that it was a safe space a a space safe enough right to feel like you could even be there right there was it specifically was working with, you know, specific communities that have been historically perpetrated against, right? Mm-hmm. Queers and women, and there's a feminist lens. Right. And they invited you, like they were holding space in a safe way to invite you to feel yourself, invite you to actually take up space in your body mm-hmm. in these, you know, physical and energetic ways. And they were doing that in a way that had, like had, I imagine, full respect and full regard and we're just like holding space for both your fear, but also like your life force, the part of you that was like your yes of like stepping in, yeah. you know, and creating those conditions, you know, like finding conditions where you can do that is not always so easy, but there's ways that, you know, some different communities and movement studios have, you know, have good values that make us feel safe. But like, so thank you for sharing that. I think those are so many of the key components about how to trust your body is like find a, sa- a space safe enough, which might just be your, your bedroom, to do a little bit of practice, do a little bit of, you know, embodied practice, which is, it doesn't have to be like yoga or karate. It can just be like you stretch a little bit mm-hmm. and then you practice feeling yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you practice like looking around the room saying, is this, a, you know, am I safe in here? Yeah, um, there's ways that I'm safe. And then letting your body try to practice taking that in, right? Because it's not just the, the thought, right? We want to help ourselves start to just in little ways experience something a little bit new that gives us a direct line into our actual experience. And that's not always easy. And we've, there's a million things that have overwhelmed us so that we're disconnected from our actual experience. So no judgment on that disconnection, if anything, like deep reverence for the resilience around it. But there's, no matter who you are, if you have a body, you can start right where you are. Mm -hmm. Like you can start even just a little bit of a practice. And it's not about going big. It's not about trying to get somewhere. It's just about like practicing having a little bit of a body experience and feeling it and then taking the pressure off and then resting, right? It's like a lot of, just a lot of little, little bits like that that start to build our embodied awareness, you know? It is revolutionary because when we feel ourselves, like feeling ourselves is revolutionary, right? Like a lot of the bigger messages depend on us not feeling ourselves so that we zone out and we eat all the shit and we do all the things that take us out of ourselves. But when we feel ourselves and we allow ourselves to connect with a little bit of the intuition of the body, like there's so much there for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and just, we just start where we are, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, it's tons of different ways. There's tons of different paths and you, you know, each person has their own path, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, there's so much expansiveness available. Yeah. I think yeah. you can sink in and, be with yourself in that way. And I mean, I appreciate you asking me and bringing the dojo up. I mean, I learned a ton there and I would encourage anybody to find a space, a safe space where you can be with yourself and practice if you want with others who 
are on a similar journey because it's very powerful to be part of and to witness. So Sage, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, Liz, it's so good to talk to you, hear your voice and to super honored to be invited to talk with you today. Thank you. And so how can people follow your journey? Or I'll follow you online. They don't have to necessarily follow your journey, but, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, my website's embodiedliberation.com, and I also have a Facebook page of the same name. I send out a newsletter once in a while. So, yeah, you can just check me out there. I have some, like, some other talks that I've been on if you want to hear a little bit more about that. But, you know, you can just check me out on my website, embodiedliberation.com. Yes, and I will say that you did a whole series of interviews with other practitioners and healers, I think, a few oh, yeah. years ago that's on your website. So if people really want to hear more about this type of stuff and healing, I noticed a couple of people that I recognized from Brooklyn, actually. Yeah, that's so yeah. cool. I forget that that's on my website because I did yeah. it a couple of years ago. I went around in kind of the East Coast and even some folks where I was traveling out, out of the country and just interview people about their healing, practitioners about their healing practice so that people could just get a little bit more understanding understanding of what does it even mean healing and and these different types of practice so those are all uh, video interviews about 45 minutes an hour each and they're all on my website under under interviews so please feel free to check those out yeah i recommend everybody go check that out so well thank you so much sage i really appreciate your time it's been an absolute pleasure thank you liz Conversations is produced by Rhino Girl Media, a communications consulting company. To advance or evolve your next communications project, check out my website, rhinogirlmedia.com, or contact me at liz at rhinogirlmedia.com. You can always follow me on Instagram at Gold. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review, share it, or send me some love. Thanks for listening. Until next time.